Welcome to Food Farms and Chefs radio show, where we highlight everyone from the top industry leaders to startups and farmers that make it all possible with Chef Jean Blom and photojournalist Amaris Pollock. Hi, and welcome back to Food Farms and Chefs. I would love to introduce you to Ed Weber, who is the owner of Broad Street Brewing Company and Jericho Mountain Beef Company as well. Ed, welcome to Food Farms and Chefs. I appreciate the invite. I'm excited. Uh, we're excited too, especially when I was looking up. You know, you your your beef company, like you're making American Wagyu beef, um, which I know is a whole long process. But you know, brew you know, a brewery is also like something that we both, Gene and I, love. So. Why don't you let our listeners know how you got into it? Because you, this is not what you originally went to school for or what you did as a career. So I'm I'm curious uh, as to how you tra- how tra- it transpired that you you know be- became not only a cattle ranch farmer but also a brewer. Sure, my uh, my business partner and I, Brandon Wellington, we we set out when the world went sideways a few years ago to. Um, rediscover ourselves and focus on things that we knew we loved. Uh, brewing has always been a passion of his and mine. And, um, you know, it started 14 years ago in an apartment on Broad Street, uh, making beer in Home Depot buckets and um, maybe a little more sophisticated than that, but not much. Um, the beef component started simultaneously when we took off with the real thought of the brewery, knowing that one of the largest issues of, of a brewery is what you do with all your spent grain, how to upcycle that, how to reuse it purposely. So the Wagyu cows are raised predominantly on spent brewer's grain. So it sort of completed this beautiful circle of life of beef and beer. And um, it also, if, if you know anything about cattle, one of the hardest things to make any money on is, is to feed them all the time. So when your feed is already free, basically, um, it certainly helps. And... Um, that's allowed us to to really sort of run hard with both of these uh, fun, exciting projects. Now, when you, oh, sorry, I I just wanted to jump in, and I, I laugh because Amherst, when you started off, you kind of like uh, two things that necessarily don't go well together, and I'm like, wow, absolutely they do. One is the no, no, no. for the other, and uh, you know. We, we uh, I, I, I love that because what a great intro to exactly what you do. And what a fabulous, fabulous way to uh, produce, you know, and, and, and help offset the cost of tremendous quality beef. So that's off to you there doing that as a uh, agricultural college person and a brewer, uh, you know, just what a wonderful combination. It is. And it's tough to beat as far as, you know, what I know I'll never go hungry or thirsty for. Um, and the thing I'm hungry and thirsty for every day, we've got that covered anyway. <laughs> and just to be clear, the the beef and beer go together really well. That's not actually what I was uh, – I'm, I'm always like 10 thoughts ahead. So in my head, I was like, well, you were in real estate, and that doesn't, you know, comprehend in my head. But that's where that was coming from. But, um, but when you say spent grain, what does that mean to our – you know, oh, our, for our listeners sure. who don't know? The primary ingredient in beer is malted barley, right? So after you have gone through the process of brewing, you've washed out about 50%, maybe a little better, of the 
nutritional content of malted barley. Um, a cow is absolutely infatuated with what's left over. So I get the benefit of taking everything I need from barley. And then the cows get the benefit of finishing off the rest and returning it to the earth, uh, as they do in large quantities every day. Um, so the malting process, malting actually sort of allows the germ to release a lot of its sugars. We then break that down, wash out about 50, 60% of the sugars, and then the balance of the nutritional content in the malted barley goes to the cows. Sounds like a brilliant plan. And I know, yeah. and I know that sustainability, as Gene had mentioned, like sustainability um, is is a key component in in that. And I know that's one of the things that you kind of have looked out for from the get go. Yeah, I mean, unfortunately, like uh, like every other agricultural livestock product in the world we don't get to set our own prices. So in order for us to be competitive in the marketplace, um, we got to find a niche. And this was, uh, this was one that we knew we could, we could uh, certainly take advantage of, you know? Yes. Um, and I'm sure Gene has more to offer, you know, as far as insight is concerned, because he is also, a, you know, in a brewery. So he, you know, has, hands down he's a chef and he brews beer now so he can go hand to hand with you with that well i mean there's so many different things i want to talk about but first of all have this taken off now to you know other clients that you're selling to if you're selling to other microbreweries or just you know as you know we all become friends in the microbrewery industry you know are you now getting additional great additional barley and grades from other breweries as well i mean i i do feel so often that so many small breweries just throw away a tremendous resource and uh you know what what a better way to help out you know the the world help out the environment by you know passing that on yeah so we we do pick up from uh, a number of local microbreweries right in our immediate area some closer to newtown um, so it, it's not something we've monetized. It's, you know, for us, it's a, it's a product that we need. So we just kind of pick it up for free and they're happy to let it go. So, uh, otherwise you're right, Eugene, it does usually end up in trash bags, uh, unceremoniously dumped into landfills and, and allowed to go to waste. But, um, larger breweries generally haven't figured out there's a pig farmer somewhere close by, or even chickens can take it. So, They've uh, generally figured out how to upcycle some of it, but um, cows are unique in a sense because they won't eat it if it's gone bad. So you've only got like 72 hours to work with it um, before you really also end up in the trash. So um, pigs don't care. Pigs doesn't care if it's growing mushrooms or eyes, they, they, they'll eat anything. So that's a different thing altogether. <laughs> that, is, that is very quick. That is very true. I know, uh, Living in Bucks County, being around farms, uh, having gone to Delaware Valley, the the entire process, you know, the cows are one of those very few animals that have that palate where when something is starting to sour or go bad, they will not consume it. Whereas, you know, pigs, uh, you know, it's quite the opposite. Um, And I remember there was a farmer up here in Bucks County for a long time during – during some civil unrest in this country used to have a sign that, that said, you know, attention protesters. Did you know a, a pig can devour an entire human body in 24 hours? I always thought that was a, a cute <laughs> sign, but, um, you know, a deterrent. 
more important, tell our our listeners, because it's just not a matter of taking a good quality grain or a good quality beef or a good quality uh, feed to raise Wagyu. It's an entire process from the genetics on down. So if you can kind of take a couple minutes and explain that process. Sure. So, um, you know, a typical Angus, typical meat that you would find in any market here is, is generally between 18 and 20 months old. Um, they've reached their full maturity. They've reached their full potential uh, in a lot of senses. Anything more than that sort of just adds to cost. So that is um, generally the process for regular beef that you'll find. Wagyu, on the other hand, it's a, it's a true breed. It's a completely separate breed, like a Labrador versus a Husky. You just They are you know the same animal, but very different breeds. And because of that, have very different characteristics. Um, that intermuscular fat that Wagyu is... Uh, absolutely and right, rightfully known for doesn't even start to develop until they're over two years old. Um, so you actually have to take these animals through to at least 30 months, sometimes into 36 months. So it's a much less efficient animal as far as just time on the ground, but it yields a totally different flavor profile, leaves a higher quality meat in most cases. Um, they're also a generally smaller framed animal. So you do lose some of the efficiency that we have sort of developed over generations of, of breeding cows in America. And, and because of that, there is a lot of process we go through to intermix breeds. So there is a difference between a full blood Wagyu and what we actually have sort of toyed with on, on our farm with mixing them with Holsteins and also with other uh, breeds of uh, Angus to sort of increase that efficiency without losing all the amazing genetic marbling that comes with the breed. Um, so that's been our primary focus is really just how to get the most out of the breed while mixing it with some of our more traditional genetics that are readily available. But there really is no substitute for a full blood Wagyu when you, when it hits your plate. Um, the fat is a very, very different content, very different kind of mouthfeel, almost velvety, uh, and smoother. So it, it is difficult to get away from, but we're having fun trying. You are absolutely right. There is nothing better than a, uh, just a 100% pure Wagyu. It's just an incredible thing. It melts in your mouth. It's kind of like eating butter that tastes like great beef. I mean, it's, you know, just a wonderful process. Now you come from real estate. I don't know what your partner was into. Uh, You're really diving deep into, you know, breeding and genetics. Uh, Do you have somebody do you have a farmer that you work with or do you you know where you where's that coming from i mean you're really getting into some complicated areas there eugene you can get a master's degree in anything in two years so <laughs> well that uh, is very true yes so uh thankfully for for about 18 months there wasn't a whole lot going on in real estate i did have two kids in the meantime but other than that i was sort of left to my own devices to keep myself occupied and uh it was uh a lot of digging into you know, genetics and cows and, and sort of all the best practices you can get away with on, on raising cows, how to actually do things efficiently on smaller parcels of land. Cause Newtown Bucks County doesn't have, well, it has amazing tracts of land, but I can't afford those. So, um, we had to stick with a pretty small parcel just to keep things efficient and really started reaching out to as many folks as I could talk to, to, to pick their brains and, and the amount of, 
you know, generational knowledge that you can get from people. It was very refreshing, actually, coming from real estate, coming from commercial real estate in particular, which you know, everybody's sort of, uh, I'll call it a full contact sport. Beef and beer, um, everybody loves each other and they're happy to talk about it. They're happy to share <coughs> I mean, right down to, you know, sharing what's in their wallet. They'll, they'll give you everything you need to sort of run and get in your own trouble. So it's been awesome as far as a community to, to get engaged with and, and uh, be a part of now. Can I jump in? Because obviously, like you, you utilize your spent grains to feed the cows. Um, and, you know, Gene brought up a valid question, which is, do other breweries work with you in order to continue that process or, and, you know, continue with the sustainability? But what I'm wondering is in the reverse side, because you you have farm and pro- probably have built re- rapport with other farm, farm owners, um, are there any... Th- ingredients that you utilize or incorporate or even grow to um, create your beers? I will say that as, as much as I have learned about farming and agriculture, I, there are specialties in the world and I, I try to stick to my own lane. The amount of grain that you would need to raise to even brew one batch of our beer is pretty staggering. So um, again, limited limited land resources um, have sort of just allowed us to focus in one particular area. But there are farmers out there and, you know, some guys in New Jersey, uh, Screaming Eagle, Screaming Hill, they, they've, they literally, everything, excuse me, that they make comes from their farm, which is pretty staggering when you think about just how farm fresh that is. They literally make a tomato beer because I think they needed to figure out how to get rid of a lot of it. It is cool to see how much the focus is on that. You know, it sort of seems crazy when you say I need to buy my my barley to make beer in Pennsylvania from Wisconsin when you know there's a guy that's growing it down in Delaware. Um so we have tried to focus a lot on on purchasing as much goods as we can locally, but um there are limitations. That Yeah, I can see why there would be limitations. Now, let's just switch gears and go right into your brewery because uh, one of your first beers was your uh, partner partner's uh, idea when he was brewing it in his his Broad Street apartment. So is that yeah. your most popular beer? So 201 North, it's named after the address of his apartment. Uh, it's a Belgian wit style beer. And I can tell you, it, it tastes a lot different than the first batch he made. Uh, but it is, uh, it's one of sort of our flagships. I would say it's, it's up there with one of our most popular. Uh, it is a style that obviously is, is, you know, very floral, very, very rich in flavor. And, and we have, uh, most of our beers are sort of designed to be highly drinkable, but they're in just about every style you can find. So, um, you know, our New England IPAs, our uh, American light lagers, our Mexican lager, all of those sort of compete with each other. There isn't really a standout, um, but 201 North definitely holds its own in a style. Uh, very wow. similar, sort of a takeoff you can find. It would be, I'd convert somebody easily if they said it was a, they're a blue moon drinker. I can always steal that person right into our, into our fray. Well, you can steal me. I'm a blue moon drinker. <laughs> Perfect. There we go. <laughs> but I also love my stouts too, which I know we're in stout season. So it's always stout season. I mean, I I can't tell you that I've ever not wanted a Guinness. So um, <laughs> it's not. Uh, and and depending on how you make the styles, it it really can be an all season beer. But don't be afraid of stouts in the summertime. You know. Oh, no, I'm definitely not afraid of stouts in the summertime because I'm a, as I said, I'm a stout girl. So um, I I have no shame in my game. <laughs> but um, given given the season, I know that, you know, stews are a big thing. And what goes better than beef and beer? 
I like making stews, like a nice beef stew with touch it with a tap tap it with some stout. So do you have uh, anything going on with that inside your brewery? Our stout is a, called a good day Philly. Um, 4.5 It's American dry style stout. It's a very tasty addition. I've also used it for beer battered. Um, when you do sort of like any kind of, uh, little stout. And, uh, I think the last time I used it was for fish and chips. So, um, we do obviously try to pour as much beer into everything we can. So I, uh, I'm right there with you, but that has, uh, led me to actually change around my ideas for maybe our Thanksgiving menu a little bit. So you can, uh, I'm excited to not include Turkey. That's a hell of an idea. (laughs) Well, you're welcome. (laughs) You're, you're very welcome for that. Um, but in the last minute or so that we have for you, I know that you also, with your beef company, your Jericho uh, Mountain Beef Company, you offer select cuts of beef, and you can also customize um, how you want them to be butchered. So let our listeners know where to find you online, how to do that, and where to find your brewery online. Sure. JerichoMountainFarms.com is is our our, uh, meat website. You can order online. We either deliver direct to your front door or we ship now. We've shipped to 38 states. We ship to Texas almost once a week, which is amazing to me. Uh, But we we do deliver straight to your front door. You can select from our enchilant or there's an option to just send us a note and we will uh, put together whatever special order you're looking for. Um, Broad Street Brewing Company is located in Bristol, Pennsylvania. So we're right off of 95. Very easy to get to. We're open five days a week, and we have um, all sorts of fun events on any given day. There's trivia and all sorts of things to keep people busy, other than just drinking some tasty beers. All right. Well, thank you so much for joining us on Food Farms and Chaps Ed. And I would love to continue this conversation on another on another segment, just because you have so much to unload. So, <laughs> be happy to join you guys anytime. All right. Thank you. Have a good day, guys. Thanks for the chance. Thank you. And we will be right back after this short break. To become a sponsor of Food Farms and Chefs and have your business or event promoted on two radio stations in Philadelphia that play on Tuesdays during Drive Time Radio and on a station in New York on Fridays at 1 p.m., you can email us at foodfarmsandchefs at yahoo.com, ibfoodie2 at yahoo.com, or arpolicus at gmail.com. Hi, and welcome back to Food Farms and Chefs. And I am very excited because it's one of my favorite things to eat when I have a sweet craving. I want to introduce you to Ashley Naftley, who is the owner of Kindness Cookies. Ashley, thank you so much for joining us on Food Farms and Chefs. Thanks for having me. Ashley, welcome. The name of your company and, and so much of what you preach you know, is what the world really needs right now so much more of. But, you know, I laugh when I think about you. You are original New Yorker and you formed a company called Kindness Cookies, a city <laughs> that is not notoriously known for its kindness. You know, that people say they walk right by you. Nobody makes eye contact. Nobody smiles. And here you come and you're entering the world and every day bringing more kindness and just smiles everywhere you go. And you're doing it in the form of cookies and you're doing it out of, you know, the Philadelphia market. But originally you began this whole endeavor, you know, back in 2017, uh, you know, in North Jersey, in Hoboken, right outside the, the city. So tell our listeners how you came from 
New York City to, you know, making kindness cookies and, and that whole process of just wanting to make people smile and meet people? Yeah, so I, um, I'm originally from Michigan and I moved uh, to New York City for school. I went to the Fashion Institute of Technology right in New York City and I moved from New York City to Hoboken, didn't know anyone. Um, so I started passing out cookies as a way to make friends. And I was passing them out at the gym of all places. So not ideally the, the best place to pass out cookies. But, you know, I was I at the time I was thinking about, you know, everyone's going through something. I was going to the gym at five in the morning and before everyone goes on on their daily commutes. And, you know, if I could bring a smile to someone's face through cookies, maybe I can make their day a little bit brighter, you know? And it obviously was very successful. I, I, you know, love that, you know, to strangers and it just grew and grew and grew. And, and, and the humor of that, you were handing out cookies at the gym and people were yeah. up grabbing them left and right and taking them. So, you know, as they're leaving the gym that morning, uh, they're probably offsetting the good, but they were doing it in such a delicious and kind way. You don't have any background in, in food production. You know, you, you obviously went to school uh, at FIT. You're not a chef. Uh, what got you started? In, you know, that crave of uh, that love of baking cookies. Where does that come from? Well, growing up, my mom and I and my sister, we would all make these little chocolate pretzel treats around the holidays. And, you know, for right before winter break, for Valentine's Day, whatever it was. And we'd bag them up and we'd spend hours making them. And then we would just pass them out to people. So in a similar way that I, I really found that love and joy of making people happy through food. So that's, that's what really hooked me, making people feel that joy and bringing people together. Well, and in a way that only really a cookie can too, just such a simple gesture and giving people things like that. I, I understand that my wife bakes tremendous amounts of Christmas cookies is already now starting to do that. Well, I, let me retract that. She's starting to make the Christmas treats for the dogs because she <laughs> treats for the dogs. And I came down this morning to a kitchen filled with little Christmas cutout uh, dog treats that she's making now, but it really does make you smile and feel good to do that. And then on the other end to see people just light up and things like that, but you, yeah, you know, exactly. it has grown so much, be, you know, beyond what you have started out to do and beyond what you were doing in the kitchen with mom and sis, um, you know, what's that transition been like? How did you go from, you know, handing out cookies to the gym to, you know, shipping everywhere in the country, everywhere in the world, uh, you know, and having a production bakery. Well, it's just me. I call myself the the chief kindness officer or the founder or whatever, all the hats I wear. So it's definitely been a slow growth because I'm doing it all myself, but it's been very rewarding, very challenging. But at the end of the day, it's just, I couldn't be happier doing what I do. Well, obviously, uh, you know, you have to pour a lot of love into it and, and it really has to be a 24 seven, uh, you know, our job to, to be producing the amount of cookies that you're producing now and doing that. But, you know, one of the other things that you do is you're really getting out there and spreading the word about kindness and you're doing it through, uh, donations and merchandise and everything like that. So let our listeners know a little bit about 
you know, what your mission statement is from that perspective and, and really what you're trying to do. Yeah. So from the beginning where I was passing out cookies to make friends and to make people's days brighter now, still that same sort of motto, but our main goal is that every month we have a different charity of the month. We sort of adopt a charity, if you will, and we donate a portion of the proceeds from the flavor of the month. And uh, every single month we have a different flavor of the month and a different charity of the month that we donate to. So it's fun to not only think of new flavors, but also be able to impact the communities that are, that are affected by these different charities. And how do you, are, are the charities local to you or are they national or are they just uh, small, you know, community-based charities or you know, where, where are you pulling them from? Yeah, every month it's different. Um, we've done large organizations like Movember or Crisis Text Line. And then we've done some smaller ones that for the month of December, it's the Philadelphia Autism Foundation, um, or sorry, the Eagles Autism Foundation. Um, so that's more on the local level, but every month it's, it's something new. We've done, um, Philadelphia blind hockey, which was an awesome organization to work with. And yeah, every month it's just something new. And I'm sure that it's just an overwhelming response with that. And obviously everybody that's involved in the charity gets involved in buying them and all. And, you know, I know that you have a, a background in public relations and marketing and you were able to pull that in to come up with this concept. And, you know, it's something that in the restaurant hospitality industry we do so often uh in my particular situation we have dine and donate nights with charities and try to give back to the community that way but also find new members um i'm sure that your business has been growing exponentially because of this so are there some plans in the near future to expand and you know grow your facility a little bit and grow your ability yeah, right now it's all home-based, um, so no no overhead, which has been great. Uh, I would love to someday have a brick and mortar. Someday would love to have a food truck. Uh, right now, just focusing on expanding the reach of, of cookies and trying to be a, a household, household name when it comes to gifts and cookies and thinking about other people. Um, so we'll see. I mean, I, I'm just trying to put in the work and you know, we'll, we'll see what happens. So I'm curious because you have, you know, you are it, you are the chief cook and bottle washer. You are the marketing person, <laughs> you are everything there. You know, tell our listeners what Ashley's day looks like, because you, know, you have a variety of flavors you produce. You have uh, so much going into that. I mean, how many hours a day must you spend it with a love of cookies? Oh man. I, it can range anywhere from eight to 14 hours a day. Sometimes it's all nighters. It, you know, we're getting into the busy season with the holidays. So it really just depends on the day, how many orders we're getting. Um, but everything is, is made upon ordering. So if someone were to place an order today, I'm not pulling things from the freezer or things that are already baked. Everything is prepared, fresh, baked, and then sent out or delivered locally. So nothing, nothing's been sitting all, all fresh. Absolutely fabulous. And that makes such a difference. Um, you know, when they, when they arrive and they're, you know, just in peak, peak condition and doing things like that. So what are the flavors that you're 
bringing on for the holidays here and, and what are you going to be featuring? Yeah, so we have our Slam Dunk flavor, <laughs> which is uh, our take on Dunkaroos. And um, it has vanilla frosting in the middle, rolled in sprinkles and topped with Teddy Grahams. So that's on our permanent menu. And then for the holidays, we do a Christmas and a Hanukkah variation, depending on the color of sprinkles. And then for December, for our flavor of the month, it's our Tis the Season flavor. So it has marshmallow fluff, chocolate chips, uh, mini marshmallows, and peppermint Hershey Kisses on top. So it's a really fun, festive, warm and cozy type of flavor that we'll have uh, starting now and through the month of December. See, when I was looking through some of your flavors for cookies, as somebody who is a chef and a brewer and very into wines, one of the things that I do a lot and people think is kind of strange, especially with beer, I do a lot uh, during Girl Scout cookie season and such, beer pairings with different cookies. And mm-hmm. when I started looking at your cookies, the flavor profiles were so intense. I'm like, these would be so amazing to pair with beer. Uh, mm-hmm. you know, there's so many different flavors going on in each cookie and, you know, whether you want to, you know, go with the, you know, the sugar and the marshmallow fluff or, you know, you want to just cut some of the richness of the butter or, you know, however you want to do that. There are so many great flavor profiles going on. And one of the other things I noticed as a baker is that your cookies really layer in the flavors. So, mm-hmm. you know, how do you decide on you know, which recipe you're going to use and the recipe development. I mean, I'm assuming that what you're doing now is not all the same cookies that you were baking when you were growing up. Right, right. It's been a long, uh, you know, testing with different recipes and things like that. And I feel like we've got it pretty down now. So when it comes to new flavors, a lot of the time I'm walking through Wegmans and, you know, going down the candy aisle, the chip aisle, you know, cereal aisle and trying to brainstorm different flavor combinations and something that feels a little nostalgic or feels out of the box and thinking about how could I incorporate this into a new flavor for the flavor of the month or even potentially a permanent flavor option. So how many permanent flavor options do you have now on your menu list? We have, I believe it is 10, 10 or 11. Fabulous. And obviously coming into the best time of year for the holiday season when everybody is baking cookies, but also Thanksgiving is, you know, another one that everybody wants things like that. And then, you know, coming in, I'm sure you're going to be very busy for Valentine's Day and everything like that. So are you looking to, you know, also do some outreach? Like, again, I said to you right off the bat, I can see featuring your cookies, um, you know, for tasting at the, you know, cookie and beer, cookie and wine, um, you know, are you, are you looking to also promote and advertise it and just introduce people to, you know, what, what you're producing? And I, I can't emphasize this enough is an entirely different level of cookie. It's not just a chocolate chip cookie. It's not just mm-hmm. a sugar cookie. You know, like what? what's the plans to really get the word out there? We have, I say we, it's just me, but <laughs> me and the business, I sort of associated as a we, 
you know, but um, right now we're in uh, Manny's Deli Stop in Willow Grove. Um, we're at an ice cream spot, uh, Weldon Fountain in uh, Glenside. We're at Ambler Flower Shop and really trying to grow that network, um, whether it's wholesale accounts or um, we do lots of weddings, wedding favors. We've done charity events and really just everything in between. I would love to, you know, collaborate with as many people as possible, as many small businesses as possible, because I think that's a really great way to grow the business and, you know, expand your reach. Um, we're also at Vonsi Brewery in Norristown a lot of the time. Uh, we do pop-ups there every now and again. So really any, we want to be everywhere and anywhere that we can possibly be to really grow the business. Well, trust me, uh, I'm in the beginning stages of planning a very large beer festival for March of next year. I will be reaching out because I actually think you would be a perfect fit at the beer festival as well to have there. And, and I will certainly be getting the word out to uh, as many other people out there as possible because just looking through your website and looking at the flavors and all, I was really blown away. And, and I do love the mission, you know, spreading kindness and smiles is, is so important in this day and age, uh, especially with everything that's going on in the world, you know, yeah, so I, absolutely. I, I salute you for that one. Um, it's just a, you know, a, a very unique start and, and an incredible business model that uh, I think is going to, you know, take off, and and one day we're going to be reach you know, reading about you in uh, one of the food journals or or you know in in one of the business journals about your business plan because it's it's really there. So for Thank people you. who want to uh, order cookies right now this time of year, you know what are you are you anticipating a very large holiday rush? People are going to have to order. Uh, will you be limiting the amount of orders you take? You know. Uh, what's your advice for people who are going to want to get your products now that they hear you on the radio? Yeah, see, everyone can order on shopkindnesscookies.com and cookies is spelled with a K. And we have uh, pre-orders available for Hanukkah, Christmas Eve, and New Year's Eve right now. We'll be launching our pre-orders for Valentine's Day sometime in December. But if you don't want to wait for a holiday or, or any sort of special occasion, you just want to try us, um, you can order on the website and get your cookies sent ASAP as well. Um, we ship nationwide. We do local delivery as well in a majority of uh, Montgomery and Bucks County. So you know, you'll see me pulling up in my pink Honda Civic and delivering your cookies to your front door. So you can get cookies in the mail or I'll deliver them for you. <laughs> you know, that alone, I, I love when you say that because you make it seem so, uh, well, you know, I just deliver your cookies and being in this industry and having done large, uh, you know, deliveries, just the logistics to go into that, the amount of time you have to sit down at the app and plug in your day and where you're going and what makes sense, you know, is mind boggling. And, you know, you, you know, our listeners don't have the ability to, you know, see you on the zoom right now. So, when I see this, you just constantly talk about it with a smile and a love. It's very heartwarming. I mean, this is really a, a, a you know, a career based on your passion and heart and things like that. Um, yeah, absolutely. So as we talk about, you know, what's next for you, um, we have about 30 seconds. If you want to, uh, you know, tell our listeners as well on social media, if they can find out more. And then, you know, one 
one quick sentence about, you know, why they should be buying cookies from you. All right. Well, <laughs> we're going to be at Vonsi Brewery this Wednesday in Norristown uh, selling cookies on site. You can buy cookies on our website at shopkindnesscookies.com. You can find us on Instagram and all social media platforms at kindnesscookies, cookie spelled with a K. And you should try us because we make delicious, one-of-a-kind cookies that'll just tickle the nostalgic feeling when you take your first bite. So I highly recommend. <laughs> I love that. Right off the cup, and you really uh, just hit that right home. It has been a genuine pleasure talking to you, and I, I can't emphasize enough uh, you know the wonderful quality of cookies, but also the the mission that you're doing and what you're trying to do out there. Ashley, thank you so much. Uh, thank you. And uh, I look forward to uh, seeing you at a pop up or you know having you out of the event. Sounds great. Thank you guys. Thank you, Ashley. And we will be right back after this short break. Join us on Food Farms and Chefs Radio Show, where we highlight everyone from top industry leaders to startups and the farmers who make it all possible with co-hosts Jean Blum and Amaris Pollock with original episodes that debut every Tuesday at 6 p.m. on WWDB 97.5 HD2 and at WWDBAM.com and on your smart speaker. Hi, and welcome back to Food Farms and Chefs. And I'm very, very excited because we have somebody who has a lot of flavor who is going to come on the show he is the owner of Jumbo Cafe and Jumbo Bobcat Bite, which is located in Santa Fe, New Mexico. Ahmed Obo, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, I'm happy to be here. So you have quite the history. I was researching you like I do with most of our guests. And you're obviously like there is a strong accent. <laughs> So you're not originally from the United States, but let our listeners know your story, like how you came to this country, how you came to becoming a chef and owning Jumbo Cafe and Bobcat Jumbo Bite. Bob, cool. Yeah, I'm, I'm ready to share my story. As you saw, you heard my name is Ahmed Obo, original from the island of the coast of Kenya. So that's the original. Now I'm, yeah, I've been in the U.S. for 28 years. It's a long um, time. A long time. I did not plan to stay here this long. So as the story goes, I was just supposed to be there for six months. And then here I am. So I know there was a girl that was involved with uh, bringing you here, but <laughs> but I feel like you kind of graze over that a little bit. You have worked in several different kitchens, but you've also gained the attention of a lot of publications have written about you. You've been on diners, drive-ins and yeah. dives a couple of times, not just once. You've been on there a couple of times. And yeah, yeah. and, you know, I, I've seen Eater eater come out and uh -huh. video yeah. video record you so with all of that attention you know ha have you kind of influenced your area and and people have you know kind of have you increased in in your <laughs> visitation like have you had more people come out to you uh, yes that has happened as again when i came here i did not you know take it back and i did not plan to come here to open a restaurant 
how to open a restaurant. So I came here to work so I can help my, uh, you know, my family, my people back home. And that's what I did. So I work at different restaurants. And then as the time goes on, I keep, you know, developing the skill, like the leadership kind of a deal. And then just, uh, I see myself in the journey of growing. So that's where uh, I went on and opened Jumbo Cafe. As the Jumbo Cafe came into place, I mean, again, I took the risk. You know, I don't know. Uh, my cousin is African and Caribbean. Some things I learned here, things I learned back home, you know, cooking with my mom. Original job that I had before I moved here, I used to go sailing, take people out fishing, snorkeling. So cooking on the shows, I mean, show me like on, on the on the beach kind of a deal, cooking on the sailboat kind of a deal. Yeah. And then when I came to New Mexico, I mean, to U.S., fortunately, I landed right into the kitchen. Which is a huge fortune for, for all of us because we get to taste what you cook. <laughs> yes, yes. And that shows me, uh, you know, as you said, with all these uh, the social media and the shows, that uh, what I have created, people like it and enjoy it, and they come. So you ask me the question if people see people shows up here uh, to Jumbo and people from all over. And when they come to Santa Fe, they see me somewhere. As you say, they see me with their Guy Fieri, the Eater, and other sites. So they're like, yeah, this is a place to go. And uh, I guess the reviews from people they've been enjoying what I've come out with. Now, I know, obviously, there's going to be a lot of Southwestern and um, Spanish-based cuisines that are in your area, considering its location. But you were the first of your kind, like, of cuisine offered in your area. So I know around here, we have, in, in Philadelphia, we have a huge selection of different cuisines and and culinary experiences. And, you know, I grew up tasting and developing a palate for just about anything you could think of. And it, you know, it's down the line encouraged and influenced my, my desire to try new things to the degree that, you know, things that most people would shy away from. I, I dive in. I'm like, sure, I'll try that. (laughs) That very strange item. So have you noticed that because I feel like you also create dry spices and sauces and chutneys and and you sell those in addition to cooking with them, you sell them inside of your business as well. Have you seen people come in and be more encouraged to try new things? Yeah. So uh, interesting what you say, the way you... uh, able to go and try it out and people stay away from it. All that is happening. People come and say, yeah, we want to try this place. So they want to push their power. Of course, they try the New Mexican, they try the other cuisine, and this is one they have the opportunity. So when they find me, they wanted to try. So and so once they try, and then I offer those, you know, I have a rack with all those, you know, spices, and they, I can see, they get so excited. It's like, yes, I want to try this at home. So because a lot of people that are not from here, we get, in South Africa, we get a lot of tourists. They're ready to go and experience what I have created. They all come to me. It's like, can we have a jumbo? I mean, I'm sure I meet people from Philadelphia, that, you know, Texas and different uh, states. 
And of course, they always invite me to go and open Jambo. For unfortunately, it's like, nope, Jambo is right here. Of course, the like, restaurant is not easy to you know operate a kind of a deal. Yes, I see a lot of people comes, and then some days I see you no know, one person carry two, three spices. And then also I have a cookbook that uh, has all the you know most of the recipe. Uh, people have appreciated that, that I created the cookbook. It's take a home. Some people have come back and say how amazing it is, easy to use it, you know, a beautiful journey. It makes me happy to see that uh, people, uh, you know, I adore what I what I've created. And that is what, when I left, you know, the restaurant the brief uh, before uh, Jambo, it's like, I want to bring my cuisine uh, to share with the community like Santa Fe. I'm happy now it's not only Santa Fe, it's worldwide. Whoever come to visit us, they get a chance to come and, and join me and enjoy it. Now, I know also like in America, we're very heavy on like beef and pork and, and whatnot and lighter on goat, which I I feel like in Af- in, in African and Kenya and, and whatnot, where you're from, which is, I believe, Lamu. Well, yes, Lamu. 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 Yeah. <laughs> that your cuisines are more based on seafood because of, you know, what's what's around you and, you know, the availability of, of fresh seafood at that. So have you noticed, you know, an uptick on people who are like went from like your regulars? So somebody who yeah. regularly, you know, c- comes in where they're like, okay, you know, yes, I usually get the the chicken, you know, with whatever sauce or however you, you know, present it. But have you seen them switching gears and, you know, having something that's created with, uh, say, shrimp? Because I think that you... The seafood? Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, uh, so I'm sure you have seen my menu. So I'm very happy with it because uh, it covers all people desire okay so we have the seafood which have the pilipili that is the original from lamu has uh, the coconut and the spicy that the pilipili is meaning you know uh you know uh red chili so in the combination of the blend of the other spices um and then from there i see people the once they order that one they're like wow this is amazing and beautiful when they switch and then also we have the uh uh, banana, you know, ba- banana leaves uh, wrap a uh, mahi mahi. That also is kind of like, so I changed it to something also with a lot of the flavor, mango and the tamarind and some curry sauce. And then uh, uh, you, uh, you talk about the beef and the goat. Going back to the goat, very surprised that uh, people are really up for it, you know, because when I open some, you know, some friends are like, you putting goat in the menu, who's going to eat the goat? So I was like, well, he's a traditional African. Uh, it has to be there. <laughs> Otherwise, people are like, what are you doing? Where's the goat, you know? And uh, so I added there. And then, I'm again, I'm going to repeat myself. I'm very surprised that it became very, one of the popular dish. And then, um, again, else uh, beef. So the beef, we know as here in America, you guys eat, you know, eat steak and uh, roast beef. Kind of that's why I made it simple, uh, where we do uh, cook, as uh, we call it, um uh, which is a kebab. So here you guys call it, you know, beef, you know, the kebab or it can be chicken kebab. So I did that way, marinated with some spices and I made, I made it with a nice sauce. Well, again, guess what? It's very popular and the people eating, they are just, uh, again, uh, blown, away, blown away with the house. So pretty much 
again, chicken and there's a salad. So all those things. And I'm, you know, people are like, wow, I can, if I don't eat, I don't want a chicken. I want this. I'm always, uh, <laughs> I, can, I, I, have, I have, I have all, I feel like I have everything for everybody in my menu. Yeah. Now I, I want to hearken to your culture because Every, obviously, like sitting down and dining with family and friends, that's in every culture, I think, aside from the United States where we, we're just like, oh, we're grab and go. I feel like food and eating is such an integral part to, you know, com- being a community and being communing with your your friends and family. Um, yeah. And yeah. And so are there any traditions that are, you know, something that we as Americans um, wouldn't necessarily know or indulge in. I mean, I know one, which is we eat with forks and I believe that you, you uh, <laughs> use con- kanji. Yeah, I, I, I know that's coming out. Well, as you say, you are bringing that up. So traditional, especially in the East part of uh, Kenya or East Africa and the coastal our custom it is to eat by hand. And um, again, um, growing up, we'll have a, a plate where we'll have a rice, okay? And then the stew that would be chicken or beef or stew, especially from the island would be a lot of, a, you know, a seafood stew kind of a deal. And we put it right in the middle. And then as uh, the siblings, we'll be all in each other's, you know, around it. So now it depends. Of course, that will be only one meal at the time. And so it depends how fast you eat and how, because that will be the meal. So you will see one side is bigger, the mountain is like almost like a mountain kind of a deal. So you're trying to get to the other side. Uh, same time, of course, uh, a mom, uh, most of the mom will be the one watching you to be fair with your siblings kind of a deal. <laughs> so that... That pretty much bring us closer and learn us how to share kind of a deal. So there's a lot of lesson too by uh, eating the food. And also uh, we feel like that's how they taught us to eat by hand, connected, you know, to the food. And then, you know, we're going deep like how connect and the food is tastes a lot better. And uh, so it's the same tradition again. As Thanksgiving coming up, it brings all the families together. Uh, to do the food, of course, you you know you guys eating differently, and we eat the same way, but the same same idea. You know, food brings people together, and then sometimes it will be uh, you know music, you know some events. It has to have food, so music and food all goes you know together, you know, hand in hand, kind of a deal. Yeah, together, yeah. And I to to just so you know, I have actually because I I was. Uh, I had dated somebody who was Ethiopian and um, (laughs) his whole entire, (laughs) his whole entire family, the first time I sat down to eat with them, they showed me how to eat um, with my hands. And it was really funny because it was like me. And then I think there was about 16 of his family members sitting around the table and I go to like try eating for the first time after they showed me, I look up and they're all staring at me like, 
<laughs> you know, yeah. like, is she going to be able to do it? Um, yeah, like that's going to make it to the mouth. Yeah, yeah right. And I, I, I was good. I was spot on. It was the first time that I haven't spilled something on top of me, but, uh, <laughs> but it was, you know, it, it's, it's an engaging experience to to sit around and yeah. like eat with your hands. Um, yeah, yeah. No, that's, I mean, as you say, in Ethiopian, they have the injera. And uh, for us Kenyan, we have uh, chapati, which is the roti, mm-hmm. which is the Indian influence that you know that. And then we have ugali, uh, that's the cornmeal that you know is nice and thick. So you dip into the stew, you make it like a little ball, you dig it in, and then of course that hold it straight into your mouth. So uh, the whole experience with the food with your hand is amazing. I mean, I say it's nothing wrong eating with a fork or a spoon, but I'm just saying, how, you know, how we, you yeah. know, different cultures the wrong way. So, so good. It is. So, it is very good. Now, speaking yeah. of culture and community, um, I saw that you actually, you founded, not only have, actually, not only had you give back to your community in whatever ways that you possibly can, you yeah. also founded um, a organization in Kenya uh-huh. So what was that, and and what does what oh. is how does it benefit everyone? Well, uh, so how is that? So the the organization that I created, you know, we call it the Jumbo Kids Foundation. So we you know we created here in Santa Fe, part of the restaurant that comes into the place. Um, you know, growing up on the island, uh, we I mean until today we're still struggling with uh, healthcare issues. You know. I mean, the government is there, they're doing their best again, but it's, it's not enough. So um, I guess something that I was aware of, uh, you know, growing up, some issues, you know, was going on in a medical kind of a deal. And when I came here, there was things still going on. So I, where I'm sending my, I said, I mean, I came here, a whole idea for me to come to US it was that I can help my family, you know, my siblings to for them to go for them to go to school and anything else, continue their life. So when I uh you know the restaurant is about to come and place, it was seriously like a recording playing what happened. Why why am I why am I doing this restaurant? Am I chosen you know to do this? You know, what is what is this message? So I practiced like you know, I came here for that mission. And uh, things was happening. I had a cousin who got really sick and then passed away right away from uh, just asthma kind of a deal. My kids here, they have asthma and they're okay. They can barely tell uh, if they are sick, you know, they have asthma. And then, you know, some events happen. And for me, it's like, okay, I got to remember why I came here. And uh, I feel like a fortune that I can give it back to my community. And the clinic was the one that keep coming up to to do to go that uh, route to open the clinic. So as uh, it seemed like it's supposed to be to happen, so I went for it and I opened another you know, clinic, and it has helped a lot of people back in the island. So I mean, the idea was just for the kids, but of course, mom, you know, on 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 kind of a deal. So that's how the I uh, I jump into uh, giving back to my community. And medical, I mean, I, I'm not in the medical field, but uh, that's what I went for. <clears throat> yes. 
Now, we unfortunately ran are running out of time. Um, so how can people find you uh, to visit you, visit your uh, Jumbo Cafe or the Jumbo Bobcat Bite? And how can people, you know, donate or help out with the Jumbo Kid Clinic? First, you know, when you go to the website, we have a jumbocafe.net. That one will take you to Santa Fe, where we have all the information, the address. So I'm here in Santa Fe, New Mexico. The address is 2010 Surreal's Road. And then, of course, Jumbo Bobcat is just open about a month ago. When you're here, you can look it up. You will find us. And then to donate, if you go to the Jumbo Cafe, there is a link. You can uh, contribute to whatever you want, a dollar, two, a hundred, whatever you can. All goes a long way. When you make a trip to Santa Fe to come out, please come and visit. Uh, most of the time I'm around, sometimes I'm not I'm one of the location. I'll take a little break, but I come and visit us here. We'd love to host you and enjoy the delicious meal here in Santa Fe. All right. Thank you so, so much for joining us on Food Farms and Chefs, Ahmed. And hopefully I will be able to get out to see you. Yes, please do. And I'm looking forward to meet you in person. And thank you so much for having me on your show. No problem. To listen to the rest of Food Farms and Chefs, tune your HD radio to 97.5 WPEN HD2 or stream live from WWDBAM.com.